This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I'm Giles Perry Phillips, and with me, or I should say, with me in spirit and visually, in the Zoom heartlands of Chesham, it's Jim Daly. Hello. I like to draw well, that out really slowly. We're well known for being intense. Zoom heartlands out here yeah. in Chesham. Um, yes, I am with you in spirit. I am obviously with you visually as well, but. Um, I feel like you and I quite often in spirit together, aren't mm. we? I mean, we talk most days, so I think we yeah. probably are. Um, You're like I... a sort of um, another spouse. You're like my pod spouse. <laughs> pod spouse. <laughs> yeah, we are a bit. I think actually we were just talking off air about podcasts, weren't we? I think actually that it does do that when you're doing a podcast. Hmm. I have that same with the FYP guys as well. You become you become more than friends, but not quite a spouse. It's like Band a weird in between brothers. Level. Band of Brothers, yeah, it mm. is. Well, you're in, we're in this together, aren't we? We're doing yeah. this pod together. We're on this kind of journey together. So I think mm. that that's only natural, really. It's a bit like happen. being in a band. And being yes. in a band is a bit like being in a relationship. You have this yes. sort of, you know, you're... And I think when you're collaborating with work, it's like that kind of thing, isn't it? It's that collaboration yes. and... Uh, it's the closest yeah. that I will ever get to being in a band. Um, so I would, I would take Well, we it. are incredibly rock and roll as well, as you know. So rock and roll. Mm. Uh, yeah, we just, we're, we're basically like a band just without the groupies. Mm. And the music. <laughs> and the music and the record deal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how are you doing? Lockdown. Oh, it's been going on for about 10 years now, hasn't it? Yeah. God, imagine if it was. Oh, that'd be horrible. Well, it wouldn't because people, people would just, as people are doing kind mm. of in the last couple of weeks, people would do their own thing. But like, no, yeah, actually, I'm yeah. going to go out and break it. I think it wouldn't. I don't think this country could last... Six months into lockdown. That no, no, I don't think so either. So, yeah, no, lockdown's been okay, actually. Yeah, I've been um, 
I've been writing and actually really busy with various different projects. So I can't complain, really. I've had lots of distractions. And I, I've said this to quite a few people that I know. Being in uh, a fairly small south coast town, it's quite a sleepy town anyway on the south coast. Unless you go into town and you're going to the supermarket or whatever, it doesn't necessarily feel that different to normal. You know, it's generally yeah. quite quiet and stuff. So in that respect, I, don't, I feel a little bit out of the loop. I guess if you're in a, an inner city or, you know, somewhere busier, it might We're exactly, more... exactly the same here. Mm. If, we, if you're going back into town, I'm sure, I, which I haven't done for mm. seven, six, seven weeks, um, but we go on our little walk, mm. our daily walk. I take Maria out for her afternoon walk and we go up to the, the field and come down again there's only half a mile i think but um and you see the same faces mm, mm. on their walk at the same time yeah um and everyone's very polite and moved out of the way so it's nice mm. but you, I, I do feel a bit removed uh from reality mm. i guess but you know what else can you do apart well, from just crack exactly. on and do your thing which is obviously what we're doing with the podcast as well exactly. you know just doing our doing our, our thing thankfully we're still able to do remote pods and we've had guests come on and mm. uh, we've got a wonderful guest today uh who louisa connolly burnham who um thankfully her boyfriend it does podcasts so yes. he was able to sort out thanks al for sorting out the yeah tech. so we got some yes yeah, so we got some good audio which is always nice um, exactly we exactly. try we're trying very hard to make sure that the quality of the podcast in content and in <laughs> listening quality is still as good as it always is but do you know what our listeners are so nice and so understanding yeah that i think even if it wasn't they would never tell us. <laughs> they never say. No, they I mean, the still... five of them probably get together occasionally <laughs> to talk about the quality of the podcast. I'm sure there's a WhatsApp group. <laughs> no, bless them. Uh, do you know what, actually, before we get onto the podcast with Louise, just talking about our listeners, mm. shall we read out a couple of uh, tweets? I think we've got a tweet and a review, haven't we? I've iTunes. got a review from Apple. I'd love to from read Apple. it out. Um, go on and go for it. From Apple, from iTunes. Well, it's not iTunes, it's Apple Podcasts now, isn't it? It's not iTunes anymore. They've I don't changed know. It. I can't keep up. Well, this is a lovely post from um, Kate's Chock. Oh, no, we've done that one, haven't we? Sorry. Uh, that rings a bell, yeah. Shit. Um, <laughs> so I've got a message here from Bubbles1962. It says, just listened to the Louis Ferru and loved the interview. It was great. Some really funny moments. You have some great guests on here. So many I would love to hear interviewed in one of these in the future. If anyone is thinking of tuning in, probably a bit of an old phrase, but you must go and listen to Blank. Give it a listen. With such a great variety of guests already, uh, we'll be checking out some more chats soon. So that's a lovely message. Thanks, Bubbles. Uh, that's a very nice message. Almost like we wrote it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and here's one from a pod regular. This is a tweet from Darren Fewins. At Cornish Darren Fewins with a little umlaut over the O, which is a very nice detail. Um, and he says, uh, there are over 60 episodes of blank. Oh, my word. There are 60 episodes. Blimey. This is number with... 66. Wow. We've done a lot. Yeah. Um, really? OK. Mm. And uh, Darren says, um, every episode, every single episode <laughs> is likely to have a beneficial impact on your emotional well-being. I cannot rate it highly enough. That might be one of the nicest reviews we've ever had. That's so nice. It is so nice. I saw that as well, Jim, and I was really, I felt quite humbled by it. So thank yeah. you very much, Darren. That's really kind of you. I like to think that people listen to our pod and it makes them feel better. And well, so it makes me feel better doing it. Same. Same. And actually, 
doing doing this episode this week mm. with Louisa definitely made me feel better. She's uh, such a warm personality, very cheery, very funny, yeah, very and uh, really open. There's some really good stories in here. Uh, one story I think she hadn't told before, I think, mm. the audition story potentially. Um, so I think we should just delve straight in. We certainly and, uh, should. We'll join you back again at the end of the podcast, as we always do. This is Louisa Connolly Burnham on The Blank Podcast. <laughs> Louise, are you having to do lots of meetings like this at the moment? Well, um, my day job, um, I have a, a day job in insurance. And so I am lucky that they have set me up to work from home. Hmm. Um, and so we have like a meeting in the morning every single day that we do on Zoom. Oh, okay. Um, so the only Zoom me- uh, work meetings are all, unfortunately, my boring day job. And then I'm Zooming with my friends kind of every Saturday. We have an 8.30 Zoom. I might take these hoops out. They're rattling. Um, but I think it's quite cool, this Zoom thing. Yeah, I've got into it. I mean, I started doing... Well, Jim, I know you've been quizzing for quite a I've few been, weeks I now. Basically, <laughs> I live on Zoom now. Basically, this is, this is my yeah. second home. Um, but, but Louisa, I've been saying to Joel's last few weeks. I feel like I'm more sociable now Literally. from my house than I ever have been before. It's really weird. It's brought me closer to people. Yeah, and I'm really scared that once isolation is over, I'm going to have to maintain this level of socialising <laughs> and conversation. And I already feel yeah. spent. We're going to have nothing to talk about when this is all over. <laughs> oh, remember the lockdown? Oh, that was bad, wasn't it? Also, yeah. I think this intensifies conversation. This because you don't want any weird silences. I mean, weird silences in mm. the real world aren't so bad sometimes. Mm. But I feel like, like the other day, I was talking to my brother and his husband on zoom and there was a moment of where we just all sat back on our relative sofas and there was a complete silence and it was really awkward and and there's also the lag thing so yeah i think we actually kind of wait for people to finish their sentences on zoom because of the lag you know you don't want to start talking over each other so you actually kind of have a more kind of balanced conversation like statement followed by statement followed by statement it's quite nice you think zoom has made us more polite conversationally yeah, I think the way that that box kind of... But we're also forced to, because every time somebody talks on Zoom, the box outlines in yellow. So even if you wanted to, it's like, no, 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 it's not your turn. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a setting, a speaker view. I can click on speaker view, and now whoever's talking, I see their face. So it's right in front of me who's talking. So I, exactly. I've got no excuse. Yeah, well, I've it's got forced it on, upon you. Yeah, I've got it on gallery view, so I can see everybody at the same time. Mm-hmm. But do you find... <clears> I, see, I'm now really wary of what I'm doing and what I look like when I'm talking, which I've never thought about before. I like my hand is now by my face. Should it be? Should it not be? Where should it be? I, I get, I'm getting very con- self-conscious. Well, actually, do I, funny enough, do you look at yourself more than you look at other people when you're on the Zoom? I only, I only look at myself. Ah, oh, now we're seeing... And then I check, and then I check myself, and then I re- oh, I'm doing it right now. I'm literally just looking at myself right now. Um, and I'm actually check- looking at you as well. And then I check myself, and I'm like, oh no, must must look at other people. But then there's also something 
I don't know. It feels a little bit intrusive looking at other people. Is that weird? Why do I feel like that? Like, because they don't actually know that I'm looking at them Mm. because my eyes could be anywhere. And then it's like, oh, maybe I've looked at that person for too much, Mm. for too long. I'll just go back to looking at myself again. Or you could be looking at something else. You could just be on Twitter. You know, we we wouldn't know. No one would know. Exactly. No. Unless yeah. you suddenly went, how many fingers am I holding out? What's behind me? Exactly. Now, yeah. I can see that you've got the obligatory books behind you, Louisa, and Jim has got the obligatory sort of shelves. Mm, very, very small. Yeah. Small yeah, what's going on with you, Giles? Well, I'm what's, in my... What's your aesthetic? Well, I'm in... I've been relegated to my <laughs> eldest's bedroom. Um, right. Because he's working in our room, which is where the desktop is. Um, uh-huh. So I've got his paraphernalia behind me, which is um, pictures of Pokemon and dinosaurs and, and his old school shirt with writing on it. Stop pretending, Giles. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we know You're it's not yours. I love, I love a bit of Pikachu. Um, um, I love Pokemon. I'm do a you? Huge, I'm a huge Pokemon fan. I don't suppose he plays Pokemon Go, he does, does he? He's absolutely obsessed with it. How Do old you, is he? He's 13. So Pokemon Go came out in, I think, 2015. And, um, like, everybody my age, at least, went nuts for it for kind of two months and then very much got over it and yeah. got on with their life. Uh, there's 40 levels. Um, I'm nearly level 38. I play it wow. every single day. Do you? Um, I can't believe I'm actually admitting this. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love Pokemon Go. I'm a big Pokemon fan, so respect to your son. Oh, he is he's literally obsessed with it. Look, I'm actually... Look, on the desk now here, he's got one of his tins. Like, oh. So he's got a deck. He went... Right, so for his um, birthday last year... Oh, no, it was Christmas, I think, he wanted to do it. He went um, to one of these... Um, like, a, a comic shop mm-hmm. in Brighton and did a tournament, the card tournaments, with the decks. Oh, my God. And he wow. was the youngest one there <gasps> by wow. quite some years. They wow. were guys that were main, mainly guys... I think there was maybe two or three women, but mainly blokes, all in their mid to late 20s was the major, major demographic. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, I remember, when it, I remember when it came out, I was working in an office at the time, and nobody got any work done because half of the office, mainly blokes in their mid th- early 30s, <laughs> were walking around doing Pokemon Go. The productivity levels fell off a cliff. For yeah. about for about a couple of months, and then everyone, I think everyone did move on. So, Louise, well, do you go? Out, sorry, Louise, do you go out in a group of other people and do it? Or is it just solo flying? I've got some limits. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, so I work alone. I work alone when it comes to Pokemon Go. The good thing about Pokemon Go at the beginning was that it it actually got people out walking because the more kind of miles you logged, uh, the more kind of like, you know, points, prizes that you got, the more Pokemon that you would find. However, now... Um, in the, about two years ago, they synced it to your um, location and your movement. Mm. So when it first started, you had to have the app open and playing. So you'd have mm-hmm. to have it open and go for a walk. And you know, But now it tracks your movement even when you're not on it. So, yeah. so it's not as much of a kind of um, instigator of exercise as it used to be. Yeah, um, I it, love it. We used to get... It? Sorry, Jim. I was going to say, we did used to get Eli to do... 
exercise. It would be a way of getting because he's not really. He's more into video games stuff. He's not really into sport or anything. So mm. getting him out. Well, that's walking, a good thing. But I've got two things from that. One, mm. I work alone makes you sound like an assassin or a spy. <laughs> yeah. I, work, I work alone, actually. Um, and secondly, can you still play during the lockdown then? Um, yeah, so um, it's harder to uh, catch Pokemon because I have to just rely on the Pokemon that's like <laughs> in, the, in the vicinity of kind of like my block of flats. But, you know, if I'm doing my, you know, fortnightly loo roll um, collection, you can catch a few. Um, there's also this new thing where you can actually have friends on it now and like you can yes. send each other gifts and play each other. So me and your son should totally add each other on Pokemon oh, Go. Oh, he'd love because, that. Because I, I wonder what level he is. I bet he's really high. I bet he's level 40. He's going to put me to shame. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm not sure. I should know, really. I feel like I should know. Mm. I might go knock on the door in a minute and find out. Does he collect any shall of the I? older cards? Shall yeah, find, find out? out, find out. <laughs> oh, oh, my God, God this is so cool. I, I bet he's level like, 40. The gift well, I was going to say 38 is pretty high. 38 really, really high. Yeah, that's um, pretty good. It gets harder to level up the higher up you go through the game because you need more points to get to the next level. So has that taken um, you five years? It's taken me five years, yeah. It's five years investment. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm one of those. I, I'm one of those people that I'm not going to be satisfied until I'm level forty. And I guarantee, when I hit level forty, they're going to bring out like five more levels. But I'll continue. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same. I'm the sort of person that when I sort of play platform games, I'd go back if I finished it and make sure I picked up all. If I missed any rings, like on Sonic or anything, I go back, make sure yeah. I got all of them. I couldn't do it just sort of half-assed. Okay. Yeah. He's level thirty-one. Oh. So he's oh. doing pretty well. Yeah, he's doing really well. And he said his best Pokemon is Dragon Knight. Oh, yeah. I've got a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> Just what's a couple. My, what's my best Pokemon? Well, my my strongest Pokemon is um, my Tyrannosaur. Um, but, yeah, Dragon Knight's a really good one as well. So we have yeah. that in common. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, like, we... Uh, you know, I remember playing video games when I was younger and stuff. And I think actually, the older people get, they do get a bit sort of snobby about people playing computer games and stuff. But we've just spoken about how it's brought people together, like it can mm-hmm. help you exercise. I think people do write off. I think video games and they well, get also older, but actually they have a role mm. to play. Mm-hmm. I would say also, Jim, they are quite a social thing. I mean, when we used to play, and same actually for our our boys, they often play games together. Um, they don't really enjoy it as much if they're just playing it on their own obviously louisa mm. loves playing pokemon on her own um, yeah. um but yeah but <laughs> i think as a kid it was always a social thing we'd have our mates around we'd play fifa or yeah, wherever yeah. it was um mario kart um so yeah so i think it is quite a social thing really although people always sort of there's that stigma attached like you say to sitting in a dark room and i guess there's that call of call of duty kind of um but even that is an online well of course game. yeah 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 so and there's skills you know i I guess sniper skills are probably useful at some point in life. Hand-eye coordination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go with that. I think yeah, a lot of a lot of the kids that are now you know at home in isolation, a, a lot of them have been saying that the only way that they properly you know connect with their school friends is through like Fortnite and stuff like yeah. that. And it's not ideal, but they've got their headsets on, they're communicating, mm. they're talk, they're talking as well, and they are kind of having catch-ups whilst I don't know what happens on Fortnite, killing each other. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. My boys aren't into Fortnite. I'm quite pleased about that, actually. They've 
both sort of poo-pooed it. They they love Minecraft is the big thing, and yeah, Eli's mm-hmm. massive Pokemon. So mm-hmm. we were talking yeah. about Minecraft. Minecraft, nothing happens. <laughs> Literally, it's nothing incredibly happens. complicated for something that nothing happens in. My little brother. I have a I have a seven year old brother and an eighteen year old brother. Um, my seven year old brother is die hard minecraft yeah. Yeah. i do not understand it. i don't like the graphics the graphics give me a headache but yeah he loves it they're a bit crap yeah. aren't they that's the thing uh, oh, yeah i think they're a bit shit but obviously i don't say that to him because he's seven i'm like wow great building yeah <laughs> it, yeah i'm a bit like that especially now i guess um because computer games are so advanced and the graphics like move watching movies aren't they so i think yeah like <laughs> Minecraft looks like something you play on a BBC computer. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys do you guys think that communicate through the lockdown or post lockdown that commu- the way we communicate is going to change forever? Like, I think I think we are going to have to think about how we talk to people and how we connect and maybe appreciate more these kind of um, virtual connections that we have. I think now that we've lost, you know, temporarily the kind of normal connections. I, I, I want to say yes. Um, I have a feeling that we are probably quite quickly just going to slip back into what we were before because it's easy. And I mean, I guess we kind of already were moving towards a slightly more virtual um, way of communicating. I think the first few weeks are going to be gorgeous when we come out of lockdown. I think it's going to be wonderful. We're going to see our friends. We're really going to value each other and talk. But I'm sure we'll be all back to treating each other like shit in no time. <laughs> or is that really pessimistic? Well, no, I've had lots of conversations about this and thinking, yeah, will we revert to type? You know, is type being, you know, less um, agreeable with each other? But I just don't know. I'm still sitting on the fence on whether I think that or not. I really, mm. really hope that, in part, we will start to. Well, it's it's like all this, not all this, like that. you know, clapping. This the appreciation for the NHS has gone through the roof, as it should do, and as it mm-hmm. should as it should have been anyway. You know, really, but it's taken a global pandemic for people to realise how great the NHS is. Mm. I hope that off the back of that, it then gets more funding, or you know, people are more supportive. But I do worry it will just go back to what it was, and everyone's daily lives will just go. People will become more not obsessed, but more just they'll concentrate more on their own thing, and they'll forget about the, the bigger picture. You know, support mm. for the NHS or support. You know, homeless people. Ninety five percent of homeless people have been housed in the last few weeks well, in, her, in hotels show. and stuff. It yeah. <laughs> goes to show that it, it is a. Well, uh, it can also fixed, goes to show what would happen if we had sort of a, a, a proper socialist government, what would happen to our country. But anyway, Literally. yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it turns out we do, in fact, have a magic money tree. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get away from the politics podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Louisa, so, you, I know you were born in Sol- Solihull, is that right? Mm-hmm. But you grew up in Buckinghamshire. Is that correct? Yeah. So I was born in Brum. Oh, are you from Bucks? I'm, yeah. I'm not from Bucks, but I, I'm currently living in Chesham in South Bucks. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I uh, lived in Birmingham uh, until I was about six. And then my dad and I moved to Buckinghamshire. We've dotted around Buckinghamshire. I went to school in High Wycombe. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, really um, close. And then my dad... Um, actually bought a pub in Marlow and kind of g- gave up his c- 
career in the in the city and and became a pub landlord. Wow. Um, and so we lived in a, in a in a pub in Marlow for years. It burnt down. Oh, our no. tumble dryer. Our tumble dryer set on fire. We oh burnt the pub down. Um, and then, um, not long after that, my dad um, moved to Oxfordshire. My mum's still kind of in the Warwickshire area, but I've lived in London for about. Um, when did I move? I moved to London. Yeah, about eight years I've lived in London mm. now. Yeah. Yeah. Marlowe's really nice. Marlowe's a nice, gorgeous, nice, nice part of the world. Really lovely. What? So, what was that like having your house burned down? That's wow. Um, it was. Um, it was one of those. Um, we were incredibly lucky because I was away filming. My dad was away um, on uh, on a work thing, and um, my little brother, who I believe was he must have been one or two at the time and his mum were away visiting family so wow. the only person that was in the pub um was our chef our chef lived on site and he just got out by like the skin of his teeth his, his dog actually um woke him up and about wow. two minutes after he crawled out of the pub the it, the roof collapsed oh christ so it was uh, the the uh, the main thing was that we just couldn't believe that the chart that the chances that none of us were in there and that our chef got out alive um and the only things that i'm that we were we are sad about losing is that it's like we had all our photos and videos mm, and everything yeah. from my childhood my dad's childhood um so that's all you care about losing and the fact that nobody died is is the overriding kind of thing that matters but it was you know it was sad and we were rehoused for god over a year um and i ran that pub as well so it was a funny old time (laughs) yeah it's i think you know we're talking earlier aren't we about sort of realizing what's important through this lockdown Mm -hmm. i guess that is a really stark and horrible way of reminder of what actually is important all these possessions all these material things actually don't matter what matters is is life and memories and that's about it Mm. and i will say that one thing that it has eradicated from my kind of like life and my dad's is we don't have like attics full of shit so like everything (laughs) in my we, me and my dad's life now is quite light. We don't have, you know, years of documents and letters and photos and, you know, bags of clothes and teddy bears and things that you shove in various cupboards for years and years and years. So there was an incredible lightness after mm. it. And now, I mean, I've been in my flat now for three years. So I've got about two or three like boxes that have like that of like memory boxes that I've kind of accumulated since the house burnt down. But other than that, I'm quite light. Is that quite? <laughs> since I was going to say, was that is that quite? Because um, uh, being an actor, you're. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's quite a trans transient kind of career because you're kind of moving around, you're filming in different places and stuff. Is it useful mm-hmm. not to have stuff? I mean, it's nice to have somewhere a base, but is it nice? not to have too much stuff that you have to worry about yeah it is and it's everything that it that is in this flat 
is all is all I have in the world. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'll send that box back to mum and dad's, or oh no, I think mum and dad's got that book or that document. Like, I have nothing kept at either of my parents' houses. So like everything that is in my world is in this flat. Um and if something happened tomorrow and I had to move or, you know, go and shoot something or for whatever reason, mm. um then I, it would be quite easy, and that's quite nice. And it's all, it also kind of immediately stopped me hoarding. I think yeah. I was a bit of a hoarder before my house burned down, and I'm certainly not a hoarder anymore. My partner is, though. It's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think, actually, we, all, we, we do have too much stuff. We do accumulate. Mm. We've, just, we've just moved house. Also. We moved back in with my wife's mum. Mm-hmm. We're renting our flat out, and then we're going to move here long term. Oh, there's so much stuff. Mm. that just we haven't seen for years that we'd forgotten we have which doesn't really mean anything to us i think we just i think it's human nature for us to, to collect mm. we're sort of like you rolling through the dust and the dust just keeps collecting around us and we become like these big balls of kind of matter. nothing <laughs> matter mm. that's what yeah. i'm looking for yeah i think i think i've become quite almost quite cold now about about um nostalgic things that I didn't used to be because I think I'm actually quite naturally an emotional, sensitive, nostalgic person. But I'm really, really good now at, like, seeing something and being like, no, I'm not going to keep that, actually. It was nice. It's like that, um, oh, God, who's that? Who's that woman that says, if it doesn't spark joy, get oh, rid of it? Marie, Marie, Marie Kondo. Marie, Marie Kondo. And um, I couldn't get through the whole Netflix series, but I, I, caught, I caught the gist. Does it spark <laughs> joy? No, sack it off. Um, so I do, I do a lot of that. Yeah, I think it's probably quite a healthy way of being. Mm. So, yeah. Um, how was, but uh, so you, did you, I guess you moved around quite a bit as a child then. So you never really particularly settled in one, one place. Yeah, it, it was tough because, um, I, I had like two different worlds because I had my mum's world in Birmingham, mm-hmm. um, which was a very, very different world to my dad's world in, in Buckinghamshire. Um, and I would, I would live with my dad but I would go and go and stay with my mum every two weeks and you know spend a lot of the holidays with her um and then yeah we had a we we had a few different places that my dad and I moved around in Buckinghamshire and then one thing that I forgot to mention is is when I was 16 um there's this school called um, Arts Educational. There's one in Chiswick and there's one in Tring mm-hmm. uh, in Hertfordshire. The Tring one is now called Tring Park. Um, <clears throat> and that's a boarding school. It's a performing arts boarding school that I always desperately wanted to go to, but it was really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then um, I went to, like, an all-girls grammar school from, like, 11 to 16. Um, and I went to little, like, stage school on Saturdays. But I absolutely loved acting. But I was also quite a naughty teenager. And when I got to 16, I think I was in a bit of a bad crowd doing bad things. And um, my dad kind of brought me the brochure for that school and was like, you know, they're doing an open day... Do you wanna do you wanna go and have a little look? But I really didn't want to leave my group of friends and I felt very settled at my school. But I thought, okay, we'll go and have a little look at it. The school is like Hogwarts. Honestly, <laughs> you turn up, there is um a book 
case that is a secret door to like a classroom. Right. It's magical. Ballet bars, people singing in the corridors. It's literally like fame in Hogwarts. <laughs> and it's I like was an episode just of like, Glee. Literally, it was amazing. And they did like a performance for the you know prospective students, and this it was amazing. It was singing, acting, and dancing. Um, however, it. You, it was either a boarding school or if you could, you could be a day student. But mm. I remember on the way there, my dad said, if you get in, there is you are going to have to board. There is no way that I can drive from Buckinghamshire to Hertfordshire mm-hmm. twice a day. And I was like, hell no, I'm not boarding. Um, anyway, went to the open day. The boarding house was awesome. Everybody <laughs> was having the most amazing time, running around. Like It was just carnage. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. And I auditioned, um, and I got in, um, and my dad had saved money since I was, um, a, like, since my mum was pregnant, because he didn't ever, he, he, his dream was that if, when I went to university, that I wouldn't be um, loaded with loads of sure. university debts. So he'd saved from, like, we're talking pennies, pounds, 20p's from when I was young, to hope mm. when I got to 18 that he could give, that he could, like, pay for my university. Mm. Um and then when I got in, it was really expensive. And he was like, you know, I have been I have this little pot of money that I've been saving for university. If you want to go to this place, we can use that pot. And um, I can like, I think he like remortgaged the house or something. Wow. Wow. And I got in and I, and I went to boarding school in Hertfordshire from 16 to 18. Best two years of my life. My life before that was left behind. All of my best friends now from that from that mm. two years of my life it was sensational I feel so lucky and thankful and privileged that I got to go there and very thankful to my dad but yeah wow did was that something you always knew you wanted to do then yeah, since I was little, I knew that I wanted to act. I was always acting, singing and dancing. I used to put on plays with my granddad that my nan would film. Um, I was always, al- always desperate to do it. Um, and um, I'm just, I'm just really lucky that at 16, my dad was like, "Right, you're gonna do it or not?" Because like now's the time. Because I, I, I was like heading towards like, eh, I'll probably study English at university, and I didn't really know about the drama schools, the Radas, the Lambdas. I also had no discipline. Like I think I was talented, but I was also erratic. Um, and then. At 16, when I went to that school for two years, it was it was like militant performing arts. Mm. Like they would not put up with any of my shit. And I also realised, oh wait, there is like hella people out there that are way more talented than me and are mm. focusing and behaving. So when are you going to step up? That that school taught me so much discipline. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, Giles? This comes up on the podcast quite a mm. lot. There. Mm. We talk to so many successful people and they, a lot of it comes down to one moment or mm. one person, you know, saying something, a teacher, a parent, mm-hmm. putting them in a situation where they've got a decision to make. And it sounds like that, you know, going to Tring was your, was your kind of moment. It's just well, funny having, how so ha- many careers come down to this moment in people's lives. That moment of encouragement, I think, is so powerful, isn't it? And I just feel so lucky that that my that my dad did that because um, I don't know he just like stre- he just like streamlined my life for me. Uh, maybe I would have ended up doing it anyway in in some capacity, um, but I do think I was getting a bit wayward there. 
<laughs> yeah, I think at that age as well, it's difficult, isn't it? You don't you don't always know what you want to do or what's mm. the best path. I mean, what's the best path for you, or whether you really want to do this thing. So sometimes it does take, as Charles says, that encouragement or that almost that mentorship from mm. someone somewhere who maybe can see life a bit clearer or is a bit more, mm. you know, a bit old, a bit more experienced, knows that actually maybe this is the right kind of path for you. And I think take a bit of trust sometimes to trust that person to think okay I'm going to try this out and obviously in your case it worked out you know massively mm-hmm. yeah for sure it's and and do you know what it's interesting as well because it's not always a parent that is it's normally someone outside of the family who who might give you that moment but um it's actually it's interesting to hear it's come from from a parent because it doesn't always come from that source and that's quite nice actually to hear that it's come you know from mm. from someone in your family that's that's um it seems, seems even more special in some ways there was also this one drama teacher who i'm still incredibly close with now mm. his name's gerard logan um and he was my um drama teacher at the little kind of saturday school that i went mm. to it's called jackie palmer I, I don't know if you've heard of it everybody went there ha- aaron taylor johnson james corden everybody it was like it was wow. in buckinghamshire it's like the little kids teenage stage school to go to in um in um buckinghamshire but i i did have this um incredible um drama teacher he was like the only teacher that i i don't know i just adored him and still adore him and he um he really believed in me and saw something in me and i was never ever ever misbehaved in his classes it's funny actually he's sending me shakespeare assignments at the moment (laughs) he's like you know to bide time he's like you know prepare this monologue and i'll give you some notes on it he's still um I, i still um go to him for help with um accents and and advice and stuff like that so Gerard Logan and my dad were definitely um huge huge like um instigators in in my life and and my career early on can you remember Logan's a great name that's great great name can you remember what the audition was that you did to get in (laughs) yeah what to tring yeah yeah, so, um, oh my god, this is great. I've can't, I haven't, I've completely forgotten about this. Okay, so, um, there are three courses at Tring that you can do in sixth form. You can do dance, mm-hmm. you can do music, musical theatre, and then you can do just straight Ta-da. acting. <laughs> uh, la, la, la. <laughs> um, now, I wasn't like a, a hugely strong dancer, but I was a singer and I was an actress. And so um, I kind of signed up to audition for musical theatre and um, acting. So musical theatre, you had to prepare two contrasting songs. So I did Wouldn't It Be Lovely from My Fair Lady, absolute banger. Um, <laughs> and I did um, Adelaide's Lament from Guys and Dolls, which is a little Ooh, bit more like sexy yeah. comedy um then you had to do a little bit of a dance audition but the funny thing was oh my god I completely forgot this happened so my dad and I did not know what a monologue was so the letter said um 
A monologue. Do, a mono, <laughs> what is this monologue? <laughs> um, so it said, do, do a monologue that best shows who you are, like it shows yourself. Now, what my dad assumed that that meant is that they wanted me to write something, you know, about myself. Okay. Um, right. Kind of like who I am, where I come from, that kind of thing. Um, why didn't we Google it? Why didn't we Google it? <laughs> anyway, um, so I wrote a piece about myself. I was like, hi, I'm Louisa. I'm originally from Birmingham. Basically what we're doing now on this podcast was written in, in monologue form. Um, and I also like choreographed the monologue around a chair. Like I was started sitting on the chair and as the monologue was getting more profound, I was sort of like started circling the chair. Um, but Can I just, I didn't, like, did you turn yeah. the chair around and sit on it the other way at one point? <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I think I might have. I de- That's there was a classic. Definitely some, yeah, there's definitely, there was some chair choreo. Um, <laughs> not quite Fosse, not quite Chicago, but there definitely was some choreo in there. And I'm, I'm not actually bullshitting you. I think I might have turned the chair around oh, and straddled it's it. It's a good move. Um, but I realised when I was in the audition waiting room, as everybody around me is, um, you know, reciting uh, Tennessee Williams and Shakespeare, I realised, I in that moment, I realised what a monologue was. And I called my dad and I was like, Dad, Back. no, it's supposed to be from like a play or a film or something. And he was like, well, you're in there now. You don't have one. So just go in there and just commit. And I went in there and I was only I was 15 or 16 um, and I went in huge panel of like teachers, the principal other people, jury, whatever it is and I went so guys I'm just going to be honest uh, I did not know what a monologue was and I've just written something about myself and they pissed themselves, they thought it was absolutely hilarious they thought, they thought it was brilliant yeah. and so I did it, I d- did it with conviction and they loved it yeah, well, they would have heard Tennessee Williams 20 times that day. And yeah. so, actually, you probably stuck out and were memorable to them. Not Streetcar Named Desire again. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and I actually got invited... A select few of us from that from that uh, audition got invited to, co- to to come and audition for a scholarship. Now I didn't get the scholarship, which was hard to handle at fifteen, sixteen. Mm. When you think if you don't get this scholarship, Dad's going to have to, you know, make some huge mm. changes. Um, but they only invited a select few to come and audition for the scholarship. So they obviously liked the monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Have you still got it? Yeah. It... No, went probably lost it in fire. Uh, been good to still have that with it. Sorry, Jim. Well, I was going to say that, that that's like you know talking about blank moments on this podcast. That's quite that moment that mm. sort of the pit of your stomach. I guess sort of you get that feeling when you know you've you've done something completely opposite of what they wanted, and yet actually mm. as it comes on this podcast quite a lot blank moments are actually kind of a a chance to do something different sometimes and you did that massively so that Mm -hmm. was a a blank moment that really really worked out for you yeah it's your first lesson in improvisation i guess yeah and you also realize kind of like what you're um capable of in those moments and also that you know charisma and um self-deprecation also can 
can be incredibly endearing. And if you just go in and you're just like, right, this has happened. This is who I am. Give it your best shot. It was, um, it was uh, definitely um, uh, you know, skin thickening. <laughs> oh, I think my internet. Oh, no, I'm here. I can hear you. Sorry. I lost sorry, you for yeah, a second. When, I think my sorry. internet's a bit rubbish. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, we missed, I missed what you said there. You just went ski. And then, pause. <laughs> so I don't know if you're talking about skiing or. <laughs> <laughs> I said that it was definitely a skin thickening moment. <laughs> yeah, that makes way more sense than skiing. Skiing would have been a very odd uh, way to go. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, as you're saying there, you're doing your own thing. Do, do you since or even pre? Do you, do you write your own stuff? Is that do you do you enjoy that? Is that something you do? Yeah, that's definitely something that I've been exploring for the last year. Um, I actually made my first film last year as a as a writer, director, producer. Um, so that is currently on the festival circuit, that film. It's called The Call Centre. It's been doing really, really well, um, which is amazing for, like, first pop at it. I'm, yeah. I'm really, really pleased with how it's going. Um, and, yeah, so I am, I am writing. Um, I love writing. Um, I wish I could write more. My day job takes up so much of my time and it needs to because I need money. Um, I wish that I had more of a a safety kind of blanket at the moment, financially, logistically, that I could just sit and write. But actually it's um, it's hard at the moment. I've got debts to play. (laughs) Yeah, I think... I mean, I think I was t- I've talked to a few actors recently because so many projects have been cancelled as well. Do, have you had work cancelled due to the yeah, pandemic? Um, so full transparency, I haven't um, booked a job in two years. Right. So an acting job, I haven't, yeah. um, I haven't worked for two years. It's my longest time out ever. Um, so in a weird way, uh, when lockdown happened and things started getting cancelled, it didn't really affect anything in my life. And actually, weirdly, out of my friendship group, I am the most kind of okay and stable at the moment because I've I've got this day job that I that I've that I that I that I do most weekdays um at the moment anyway that you know pays relatively well um and I'm you know one of the top sales people there so I I do quite well so actually out of my friendship group my fledgling acting career is actually working in my favor for once (laughs) here we go sorry you're back you you you, you've gone so I know you'd um you froze again in a very they're all the what I like is it's like and (laughs) I know I'm quite <laughs> expressive. Um, well, I was I was just saying that my kind of fledgling acting career is kind of working in my favour mm. because because um, I, I haven't really lost anything acting wise. Um, yeah, but that that sort of downtime between work. Same when I don't have I had one gig in the diary before all work was cancelled, which I don't think was a was a lot of money anyway. Actually, um, uh. it's. It's difficult, isn't it? Because like you want to work and you want to, you, you feel like as a as a performer, as a creative, you should be working all the time. And, you, and I've got loads of mates in comedy, and they're constantly gigging. I'm like, why am I not gigging all the time? So it's mm. difficult those sort of down moments between work. But you, it's a fine line. You've got to stay positive 
and ready for work, but you've got to make money, but you've got to still feel like you're being creative. Like it's a real sort of balancing act. Yeah. And I've actually kind of technically been acting, you know, professionally since I got my first job when I was 14. Uh, just a li- just a little bit on Midsummer Murders because that little stage school that I went to, Jackie Palmer, um, had an agency attached to it, like a kids agency. So I did a few bits when I was a teenager. And then um f- and then didn't couldn't have the agent from 16 to 18 cuz Tring wouldn't allow you to have an agent and audition because they wanted you to focus, which I think is really good. And then when I was 18, I didn't get into drama school, um, but I went back to that old agent, started running my dad's pub, and then at 19, uh, booked quite a big TV series and became a regular on a TV series. So I feel like I got more used to the industry sooner than a lot of my friends so the big gaps in between acting jobs I'm not completely numb to them but they don't affect me anywhere near as much as um uh my friends I no longer garner my worth from acting jobs or being booked and I used to and it used to kill me mm. and um and I don't anymore um I guess I no longer feel like I'm entitled to those jobs and I and I have a life outside of of acting now I still miss it dreadfully um I'm it's the love of my life acting um but um yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of used to the rejection now, I think. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, it's still, I mean, it's always... it's Rejection on any level is still always hard, even if you're used mm. to it. That, that moment is still difficult. But I think it's, very, it's really powerful. You're talking about sort of self-worth. It's really powerful to understand your self-worth and have it. When you're... You know, you're younger than Giles and I. Like, I think to at that age and realize your self-worth is quite a powerful tool a lot of people struggle with that much later on into their career mm-hmm. and it helps in the kind of, sort of transient you know creative industries to have that but it's still difficult it's still really really difficult mm. those moments where work doesn't come or you know i have a bad gig or whatever like it's they're still difficult but you know on this podcast it comes back a lot to understanding yourself and knowing yourself and uh, having that self-worth so yeah if you could just send me some of that self-worth that'd be great you could yeah. just sort of send it over that'd be really useful and have you two found that that doing this podcast together has kind of filled that gap a little bit so that like if you guys have any moments where it feels like work is sparse that you have this little baby that you've created that brings you joy yeah i mean was one of the reasons why i start i mean i I, like, like you, Louise, I had a, a downtime, and I, don't, I mean, don't think I had a book published for about two or three years, mm. um, and similar kind of thing. You just think, oh, and you kind of start to think, well, maybe I just get go back to the real world and do something, you know, something else with my life. And um, then the idea for this came about, and I wanted to do a new project. So I think sometimes it kind of forces your hand a little bit. Sometimes those downtimes into doing other things. Like obviously you've um started doing your own 
you know, made your own short film. And, mm. um, and so you kind of, yeah, I think sometimes these situations coerce us into other things. And I don't know about you, Jim, but, yeah, that's certainly what thrusts me into doing this. And I think, yeah, it's nice to have this as a, you know, this isn't, we don't make a living from this, but it's it's a lovely project to keep, you know, keep us ticking over. And uh, these well, therapy sessions every week are very helpful. Unless, <laughs> unless anyone wants to sponsor the podcast, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Then, then we could, yeah, we are, yeah, we're open to sponsorships. But I don't. I don't know if you feel the same way, Louisa, but I don't think you ever stop. Even if you don't work for two, three, four, five years in your creative industry and you get a normal job for that time or whatever, I don't think you ever stop being that thing. Like You will never stop being an actor. Giles will never stop being a writer, even if he doesn't have a book published for 10 years. I will mm. never stop being a very average comedian. Now, these are, these are things that the, you, they, they're innate in you. They are you. And regardless of whether you're working loads or working not that much, I still think that is you. You know, reg- you don't have to have the tangible evidence of the jobs and the work and the money. I just think it is, when you know it's you, it is you. Does that make sense? That's actually such a good point because sometimes I watch TV shows um, or films or plays and it's been so long since I've done it and I'm watching a really fabulous performance and I think to myself... God, I couldn't do that. And then yesterday, I had a self-tape come through. Um, scene, a couple of scenes, nice character. And as soon as that camera started rolling, I was in it and I was doing it. And I thought, I'm bloody good at this. And I might not get that job, but actually, I can still do this. And as soon as I'm given the opportunity again... I will show that I can do this and I will, you know, deserve to be there. Um, but, yeah, and, and I, I... It's funny, that's so true. And I, and I have to keep reminding myself, oh, I, I am an actress because I really feel like more of an insurance broker right now because I sell insurance every single day. So I feel like more of an insurance saleswoman than an actress. But actually, no, I am an actress. I am a writer, a director, a producer... It's almost like um, a mantra, isn't it? You have to just keep yeah. telling yourself that um, you, you don't have to have someone else to tell you that you are that. You are that regardless. It's a really great way of thinking about it, actually. But, but also, even so, um, we, I did this on another podcast. I think it was David Baddiel. And you, he sort of said to me, oh, you're a comedian, Jim. And I was like, oh, OK, well, if David Baddiel says I'm a comedian, then I'm probably a comedian. <laughs> And actually, sometimes it's a slip can... of the tongue, Jim. Yeah, he meant to say you're an idiot, Jim. No, um, you can. That people give you these clues sometimes. The outside will give you clues. Like, like if I Google you, Louisa, it doesn't come up with insurance broker. It comes up with actor and all your credits yeah. and everything. If I Google Giles, it comes up with writer. You know, mm. it, it, the, these clues are out there as to what we are. And I think sometimes we we're so hard on ourselves as creatives and as performers but I think actually we need to give ourselves a break sometimes and as you say doing that self-tape and realizing yeah I'm good at this that's really powerful mm. to to give yourself cut yourself some slack and give yourself some credit because other people are giving you credit so you might as well give it to yourself I also had a bit of an identity crisis ma- making my film um <clears throat> because I wrote it um directed it and produced it actually co-produced it with a, a wonderful wonderful woman called Emily Everdee but um after making that film I-, I wouldn't even call myself a writer director producer because I felt like all right Louisa pipe down you've made one short okay let's not get ahead of ourselves um 
and I'm only now kind of trying to get into the rhythm of saying that I am those things as well. It just feels a little bit silly because I've only made one short, but actually, you know, I made a, a good short. It's it's yeah. doing well, and maybe I am those things as well. And um, I think we all have um, identity crisis moments, don't we? It's yeah. the the dreaded imposter syndrome, isn't it? That comes yes, in. that's it. That's mm. it. It's imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And yet we, you're we you're the only person. Sorry, Charles. You're the only person that's mm. saying to you, "You're not those things," because everyone else <laughs> yeah. thinks everyone else thinks you are. Yeah. Mm. Oh, there's that awkward moment. Oh. <laughs> 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 I knew it was going to come at some point. Oh God, we were just like reflecting, weren't we? We were just taking yeah. a beat, just a breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> taking a beat. Um, uh, as regards to logistics for acting now, I know a lot of friends who are actors or um, and some who are, um, haven't worked for a while, and they, they do a lot of self-taping. How do you find doing self-tapes compared to, like, standing in a room with directors and producers? Um, the pros of self-tapes are that you can do it until you get it right, um, until you're really, really happy with it. Um, you can light it how you want. You can um, you can grade the tape yourself, and and that's nice. Um, the cons are um, that you can almost just go and go and go until you're like bleeding from your eye sockets because yeah. nobody is kind of cracking the whip and being like, no, that's fine, we got it, move on, and you can just. Um, it, it, you, I'm just never happy. I'm just never happy with with how it's gone. Um, also, you know, I've only got a little flat. We have to absolutely destroy this living room to get the backdrop up and the the you know the box lights and the ten crates with the shit tripod on it. Um, they take entire days. It took us hours yesterday to do that. They weren't even big scenes, but um, God, the ones that come through from America, America in pilot season oh my god they send you like four scenes to do four really really long scenes and i'm under the impression that they most casting directors directors producers i have a feeling they know within probably 15 seconds of (laughs) your tape whether you are right for it it could be your voice quality it could be how you look it could just be so when you you know i've cut together eight minute tapes and and then i can see on vimeo because there's stats on vimeo you can see if anyone actually even finished the fucking tape they never (laughs) even finished the tape the stats sometimes say they watched the last 30 seconds and closed it off and you're like i spent the whole of sunday doing that but um they're certainly useful in isolation though that's for sure isn't that the same with normal auditions as well don't don't most casting directors sort of make their mind up yeah maybe less so i started doing advert auditions which is a whole oh my god it's a Uh, whole thing you did a pot noodle one didn't you jim i did a pot noodle one did you have to dress up as a pot noodle which was the pot noodle one there was one where i had to dress up as a chicken although i didn't actually in in the audition i threw that audition up big time um i can't remember what the pot noodle one is they all typecasting again isn't it but certainly with advert, maybe I think it's probably less so with sort of TV and film and stuff. But with advert auditions, they make their mind up. I think within the first ten seconds when you walk in, because it's mostly about look yeah. rather than whether you can act or anything, which is great because I definitely can't act. Um, <laughs> but well, it's been it's been amazing watching other proper actors. I've, I've done a couple of auditions. Where I've been in with someone else. I think just to get through it, they've got two at a time and they get get through it and get you out. And I watched one girl. Oh, actually, I think that's a important one. And 
she went first and she was so good mm. like she was amazing and I remember getting to my bit thinking well it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter what I do because she was so good um so I just said something stupid and made them laugh uh, and then uh didn't get the part um <laughs> but yeah I think they do well I've been my wife's an actor as well so she's been uh, sort of helping me through that um but I do think they make up their mind pretty quick as soon as you walk in the door which is weirdly a kind of a comfort if you don't get the job you think well they made up their mind it doesn't matter what you did but um i'm just ugly that's fine (laughs) exactly (laughs) i can live with that i have done for 35 years so um but yeah so yeah uh, castings are a weird they're a weird world Mm, yeah for sure they are kind of drying up at the moment though because so many productions have have closed um so yeah, I guess we'll see what happens when it all opens. I think there's going to be, I think it's going to be a while. I think even when lockdown finishes, um, I don't think we're going to be like jumping back onto film sets or anything like that. I think there's going to be measures in place for a while. Yeah, but it's been, it's been interesting actually to see how a lot of TV shows have got through. I was watching the uh, Mash report the other night, and um, it's still as brilliant as ever. And they've just done it with niches at home, you know. And Rachel sends her bit in and stuff, and it's all like. It's funny, we have these kind of set parameters of how we do things, and actually when they're taken away, the human spirit... God, I'm getting really deep now. <laughs> the human spirit sort of gets us through it, and actually we still find a way to do these things, and they're still good as ever. So I don't know if that's going to change the way we do things afterwards. I don't know, but it's interesting to see that we've been able to actually do all these things anyway. Uh, yeah, and keep the quality up, So including this podcast. Mm, yeah, my, na- my nan compares it to the war like World War Two, she says that really? that there is definitely a kind of she rec- recognizes the um the kind of community spirit that's that's happening at the moment. It is it is amazing. It was definitely. I mean, I, uh, every time I go out and do the the clap for the the NHS and the key workers um, every Thursday, we all all my entire block like runs out in mm. front with their sores pants. I cry every single yeah, Thursday. Yeah, it doesn't I'm get abs- any less I'm emotional, an, does it? I'm an absolute bits every Thursday. It's beautiful. The first week that happened, um, I forgot about <laughs> about it. We were having our dinner. I looked at my watch. I was like, it's ten past eight. Oh no! So I went outside. Everyone was gone. Um, so. I, I was really worried then that all my neighbours thought that I like actively hated the NHS <laughs> and just like didn't want to go out to prove a point. And then we went out the next week. Next week I was like the first one out there. We went out and a lady down the road had a pot and pan and she's become like the leader now. So when she starts doing the pots and pans, that's when we all start clapping. Right. She's like our, our foreman. And um, she did it for a bit and then we clapped. And then she went, well, there was more people last week, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Which was, I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I feel like I missed the good one last week. It was a very <laughs> awkward moment. But, um, yeah, last few weeks have actually been better than the previous few. So we're getting into a rhythm of doing it now. Yeah, I um, live on a on a on quite a main, a busy main road. Um, lots of buses go down it. And um, every time, if, if the clap's happening, last Thursday the clap was happening and then a big double decker red bus went by and we lost our minds we were like yeah bus drivers <laughs> and he was like honking the horn we were like yeah we also um we have like a local dominoes so lots of dominoes drivers go uh, down yeah, there yeah. <laughs> their key work is we're like yeah dominoes drivers it's, uh, and they're it's like, like the <laughs> it's like the london marathon yeah it's awesome. every thursday it is great <laughs> louisa going back to your um short film and what was it like sort of 
taking control of a whole project yourself? I mean, obviously you're used to being on the other side of the camera sort of thing, but actually creating a whole project from scratch. Did you enjoy that process? Absolutely loved it. I'm a, I'm a complete control freak, uh, self-confessed. It can be to my detriment, but it all, it also can like breed good things. Um, it, it, it was it was wonderful. Um, it was one of those projects. I don't know if you guys have ever had this, where it, it's called the call center, and I work in an insurance call center selling. It's about it's about a girl that sells life insurance, basically. Um, the idea. I was at my desk at work at the office before lockdown. Um, well, yeah, this was like end of two thousand and eighteen, and the idea literally just plopped into my head, fully formed. I knew the beginning, middle and end immediately. It was the most gorgeous process ever because there was no like racking my brains like, how do I tie this bit to this bit? Does this make sense? I was like, nope, I know exactly what this is. So I wrote it kind of, got it finished in December 2018, writing wise, went into January, like raring to go, launched my production company, Thimble Films, got a co-producer on board, started a Kickstarter campaign in oh, it was like end of february early march raised eighteen thousand pounds on kickstarter wow shot it in three days in april edited by july into its first festival by september so it was um it, it was awesome it was very fast paced it was you know very stressful that the money the, the fundraising of the money was killer um but it it was it was a joy. I I loved having you know all my fingers and all the pots. That's kind of how I I like to work. Um, and then you you have that feeling afterwards, like yep, that's I did that, all of that, yeah. and it's um it, it was wonderful. I I like working that way. It's a really that's a really quick turnaround from idea to execution to delivery. Yeah, I've been, told, I've, I've been told. I've been told that. It, for me, it felt like it was taking ages, but I have been told it was quite a quick turnaround. Um, but I think I don't know what you guys are like. But when I have an, an idea in my head, I'm like, go, go, go! Got to get it done now. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit like that. I have to say with projects. Um, but I think you do. So it's that you know, striking while the iron's hot is so important. Really, I think otherwise. You can just let things slide and you think, oh, and then two or three years down the line, you'd be like, oh, why the fuck didn't I do that thing that I, you know, and, and then, you know, it's not, I guess it's never too late to start things up again, but I think you do really do have to sort of jump on ideas. And if you had it fully formed in your head, that's incredible. I think I'm struggling with that now though that I do have other ideas and I am I have little bits written here and there but nothing has nothing is is completely fully formed yet and I think I was so lucky with um my first film the cool center that the clarity was um incredible and I'm I'm lacking a little bit of clarity now. And as this film kind of ties up and comes to an end of its festival circuit, there is a pressure that's like, right, what's next? Everybody is asking me what's next. When actually I'm like, (laughs) I I, I don't really know. And and I'm so busy with my day job um, that 
that, I feel like that's taking all my time right now. But really, it feels like I, I should have the next thing ready now because I really should be launch launching myself off off the other film. But by the time I've got the next thing, I think the buzz is going to be dead from this film. But that's fine because I just have to rebuild the buzz again from scratch and i did it once and i can do it yeah again, exactly so. and yeah. and it's got to be the right time hasn't it for your for whatever idea that comes out or you know what obviously if you're developing certain ideas now um you want to make them as good as you can and be them to be right for you at the right time i mean it's always about timing these things anyway isn't it yeah for sure i was gonna ask actually about the short film what your writing process was but i guess your writing process was the idea happened and, that and was i wrote it, it down <laughs> and i wrote it down on a notepad on my little notepad at my desk i literally was sitting near um, one of my office supervisors the idea came i literally looked at him and i went fuck i just had an idea for a film and he was like, "What is it?" And I and I pitched it to him. I think I think it was Khalil, my my um office, one of my office supervisors. And I was like, and then this happens, and then and then I was like, uh, blah, 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 blah. and then I was like, right, write yeah. it down. I was literally on the phone with my little headset on, gazing out the window as I do, and I was like, oh! it was it was amazing. It was such a great moment. And then I went, got home sat my partner on the sofa and I was like right don't talk for 15 minutes let me paint the picture for you um yeah so, so it sounds like work were quite supportive that you were creating this other thing at work yeah 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 they they, they were fine I mean the whole office is actors and writers oh, and, course, and directors yeah. and producers it's yeah. an amazing company I mean I've done all the little side hustle promo waitressing <laughs> work and I've been at this office now for three and a half years the, and um, they're really really flexible they're really supportive um and they were hugely supportive of um of the of the film. I was originally going to shoot it in the office because it looks so much like a cool centre, but that didn't work out in the end. But um, they gave me all the headsets for the for the film. Awesome. Well, I stole them, but <laughs> yeah. borrowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what? So so what's your writing process like now? Then compared, you know, that that first one happened so quickly and came to you. What's it? How's it different now? What's your process like with the sort of next stuff? Uh, I usually write it on notes on my phone at 4am when I have all my ideas. Yeah. Um, and then the next day kind of look at the notes on my phone from the middle of the night. I'm like, wow, that's shit or that's all right. <laughs> and then um, pop it into final draft. Um, my mum has had an amazing idea for a film, which is what I'm focusing on at the moment. Um, so that's kind of what I'm writing at the moment. Um, and then just little scribbles here and there. Um, nothing too structured as of yet. Most of it is notes on my phone, to be honest. Yeah, I'm a bit, no, a bit, no. bit of a night owl. I think I'm a bit... I think I'm, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Do, you, are you, are you, uh, do you... Are you a good sleeper? No, no. I've, got, I've just... I'm a terrible sleeper. I've always been a terrible sleeper. I have, I'm just, and actually it's something that I've only just come to accept. There's such a pressure on us to be morning people. 
Um, mm. And I'd love to be. I'd love to be somebody that hits the hay at 10 and is up full of beans at 7. I'm not, and I've tried to be my whole life. Um, I do my best work at night. I have my best ideas at night. And there's something really freeing about um, about accepting that. I'm never going to be somebody that sets my alarm at, like... Unless I absolutely have to. I'm not going to set my alarm at 7am and be like, today is a writing day. I don't think. I don't <laughs> yeah, think, no. anyway. Yeah. No, I think it's good to, no, it's good to, it's good to know how you work. Yeah, mm. it's totally good to know how you work and um, what works what works for you. I wish mm. I was a morning... I've, yeah, and if you... Mm. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, if you can accept that, that's a that's brilliant. That's a freeing, very freeing feeling, I should imagine, like accepting that is how you are and you know that's your process and uh, that just means that you can you know you can adapt to that but whenever you need to yeah same with exercise as well um I have a lovely personal trainer called Emma Emma Partridge um and uh, we're working out over zoom now but there, there was a moment because I used to get up at like six, seven in the morning, like to go and work out with her before going to the office. And I hated it. I was miserable. <laughs> yeah. I was an unbearable client. She'd be like, you know, give me 10 more. I'd be like, you know, <laughs> shan't. Um, and she was like, maybe you just prefer working out in the evenings after, you know, after work. And that's cool. And I'm so much of a night, so much nicer of a person in working out in the evening than I am at like 7am. And I've only just started to kind of like accept that. It's what I love about filming because you do get into the rhythm of getting up at six. And that's always fun when you feel like a, a, a morning person for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) you could try like the mark Wahlberg sort of style um workouts he gets up at two doesn't he two in the morning he like he prays and then he works out and then he spends time with the kids then he prays and then he works out and then he eats and then he like uh, i don't it's amazing but like hell no (laughs) it's bizarre he has a whole have you not heard about this, Jim? No. So oh, my Mark, God. Mark Wahlberg put up on Instagram, it's about a year or so ago, um, his exercise regime. So he, he wakes up in the middle of the night and does a full hour's workout. Then he has, like, a ice bath or something or a cryogenic yeah. kind of thing. Then he does another <laughs> right. bit of workout. And then um, he has a bit of food. Then around sort of six in the morning, he has a full round of golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Then he comes back and hangs out with the kids for a bit, um, helps them get ready for school or whatever, uh, makes them breakfast, has some more food, then does another, out, hits the gym again, then he does some other stuff, and then goes to bed at like seven in the evening or something. I mean, he said he does Literally. a bit of work around two at two p.m. He does a bit of work, and then yeah. Okay. It's I mean, that sounds yeah. like the daily schedule of a psychopath. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at 4 I mean, p.m. He, he, he peels off his entire skin and then <laughs> cra- crawls into his new skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would not surprise me. No, I think it's good. I think it's good to know who you are and what works for you. Clearly, that mm. works for him. And yeah, good luck to him. Exactly. That doesn't. That doesn't work for me. But, um, <laughs> but have you tried it, Jim? Have you tried everything it? Everything bar the skin pulling, I've tried. 
Uh, I don't know if that's like any. No, I, I, I have a personal trainer as well, Sam. Mm. Sam Helm, top man. His brother <laughs> plays cricket for England, which is very weird. Um, and uh, yeah, we started doing workouts over, um, over uh, WhatsApp video. It's weird though, because he's, I've worked with him for like five years now, and he's become a really good mate. And he's a really nice guy. But then I sort of realised recently that I'm paying him to be my friend in a way, which mm. is um, <laughs> probably shouldn't think of it like that. Um, but yeah, I, we do once a week. I can't do like five times a day. That's ridiculous. No, I, we only do once a week as well. But yeah, I know what you mean about paying for a friend. Um, they're like, it's also like therapy. And um, I was going to say, do you download with your personal trainers? Hell yeah! Yeah, like well, he... I, yeah, I, I download with everybody that will that will have that will have me. It's a, it a real issue, actually. I've got boundary problems. <laughs> well, Sam does with me sometimes. He tells me about his problems. So mm. it's quite nice. It's nice. It's nice. I mean, I moved out here to Chesham. I'm not. I'm from North Kent originally, so I'm not from around here. So actually, getting a personal trainer was the first thing I did. It was nice to have a friend like out here. That was my first thing to do was to get someone local that can become a friend so um it was a good sort of part of that process of, of moving out here and it's nice to connect to people you know there's nothing wrong with connecting mm-hmm. with people regardless whether you're paying them what well, so and to be honest jim exercise is it's hard work isn't it it's nice to have someone telling you to do more oh i need it mm-hmm. i don't know about you louisa but i'm one of these i've worked out i'm one of the, i'm an appeaser i think or something like that so i need to be accountable so i need if i don't have a personal trainer i will never train ever i need it so that i have someone yeah. saying do this, do this, do this. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that's like knowing your personality. So because I am that people pleaser thing, I know that if I get a personal trainer, I will work out. So it's like knowing what works for you, you can then sort of build your routine around it, which kind of works for me. I still find excuses with Sam not to work. Like I, talk, I talk to him about fantasy football all the time to try and distract him. <laughs> and then he'll be like, it's been two minutes. What are you doing? Get down and give me 20. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's good to know. Yeah, we need kind of personal trainers for other aspects of our life, perhaps, as well. Not oh, just a writing, um, a personal writing. Exactly. Trainer. I'm just yes. thinking like yeah, a creative personal trainer that can like, motivate. Maybe this is this is a line of work that all of us could. Oh, like. my God, <laughs> this is going to be a thing. That's a great shout. Get down those stairs and give me ten pages of work now. (laughs) (laughs) Ten words now. Tap, tap, tap. I want 65 monologues by the end of the hour. (laughs) Monologies. Go, go, go. (laughs) Love it. I mean, everyone's nominating me to run 5K in... I'm struggling to get myself out of the house to do that without somebody, you know, with a hot poker kind Mm. of prodding me. It's hard. I I need someone there yelling at me and telling me I'm worthless. Same. Yeah. (laughs) Same. (laughs) So, Louisa, this is obviously the the, um, podcast for what we were talking about then. Podcast is about blank moments. And at the end of the podcast, we've we've been talking for quite a long time now. Um, It's flown by. At the end of... It has flown by. At the end of the podcast, we always ask our guests if they have any advice for anyone listening. Um on blank moments and how to deal with blank moments. Have you got any words of wisdom that you could pass on to our, our listeners about how you get through those difficult moments? And blank moments, is it kind of like, are those moments where you just kind of feel like there's nothing going on? Like well, you don't know how to move forward or, or, or is it subjective? Is it guess it's what a I bit, think? Yeah, it's interpretive. I mean, I guess today we've obviously mm. talked about um, various different blank moments that you've had. 
Um, mm. And it's, I guess it's seeing how you've kind of coped with those moments. Um, I think one of the things that I am learning at the moment, which I'm finding incredibly um, freeing, is, um, is that having blank moments um, is okay. And actually, what you said earlier, Jim, I think is, is really, really useful that that there is comfort in knowing that even in the blank moments that you are still who you are, mm-hmm. you are still capable, you are still talented, um, and um, and that it's okay sometimes just to sit back and, like, veg out and watch telly and, and wait for the blank moment to pass until you have that creative burst again. Um, yeah, just knowing that you are still who you are in those moments... Um, and you're also not just one thing, you're many things. So if you're having a, a blank moment in one aspect of your life, maybe start exploring a different aspect of your life at the same time. That could be anything. I collect thimbles. That's fun. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of this is making any sense. No, absolutely, um, yeah. I think particularly that last point I think is very true I mean that's something we've touched Thank on isn't you. it no no it is but yeah I think um, just, not the, just not, trying not to find the thimbles comfort. bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know just I, I'm just I'm, I'm trying to sit in the blank moments mm. a little bit more instead of letting them overcome me just being like okay I'm not feeling very inspired at the moment that's fine I'm gonna let myself have a week of um of nothingness it's also incredibly re- restorative and um it's good to rest. It's good to breathe. It's good to chill out. Yeah. Can't all be, you know, fabulous all the time, can no. we? No, it's important to turn the <laughs> switch true. off a little bit. That's so Even true. Us. Even yeah. us. Even us. I know. I know. People won't believe it. They won't believe it. But we can't be fabulous twenty four seven. It's just, it's too tiring. <laughs> I think you're both fabulous twenty four seven. So man. there you go. Same. Yeah, you. Too. We need to have you a cheesy too, ending to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh. Louisa, thank you so much for coming on the Black Podcast. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, it's been obviously, lovely. we've got to, got to know each other over Twitter and whatever. So it's really mm-hmm. lovely to actually finally talk in real life. Well, obviously, this over is the so lovely. It's like therapy. I feel really good. I feel um, good. Ready to uh, to to go on the phones and um, sell people <laughs> insurance reluctantly. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. there we go what a lovely lovely guest louisa was oh it was so nice to talk to louisa i've got to know louisa a little bit over twitter and instagram and um we've been trying to plan we've we've been planning this for quite a while and um we obviously couldn't do it in the real world so we've done it via zoom and it was really great to chat to her i mean it was just um she's got so many great stories and is so candid about um her career and you know the sort of the peaks and troughs of it as well absolutely yeah and i think actually when you get people who are being really on someone as successful as she is and you know her career is really taking off she's been in some amazing tv shows Mm. and she's written a short film which is really doing really well and i think when people like that are as candid about struggles in your career as well as the good bits Mm. i think it really helps people and i'm hoping that people listening who are 
trying to sort of uh, plug away in the creative industry as well, we'll be able to take some sort of solace from that as well. I think it's important that we have successful people, as we have done on our podcast for the last 66 episodes, mm. um, being open about their careers and, and, as you say, the peaks and troughs. I think that helps everyone. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it was great to hear um, some of Louise's um, comments about that, you know, doing self-tapes and being out of work as an actor, you know, and having to pursue other um, work areas and just to earn a living, you know, that's all difficult. I know several actors are in a similar boat who have been in you know, big shows and, and, and have not worked for, for some time and, and how, um, soul destroying that can be, um, if you can't do your art, you know, and that's, we, we talked a lot on the pod about, you know, making sure that we call ourselves what we are, you know, I, you know, I have trouble sometimes thinking of myself as a writer. I know you struggle sometimes to think of yourself as a comedian and actually to tell ourselves that we are those things is really important. And that was a sort of big thing I got out of this episode actually. Yeah. Me too, absolutely. And again, as we do with most episodes, I always end end the episode feeling better than I do when I start it, which um, I think is a testament to the quality of guests that we have on. And it's just nice to talk to someone who, like me, uh, moved to Buckinghamshire. So it's yeah. always nice. A bit, a bit of a Bucks chat. Always nice to have that. And Marlow is a very, very nice place. Um, so thank you, Louisa, for joining us. And of course, if you would like to get involved and uh, send us any tweets... Mm. The, about episodes you like you can do our twitter account is at blank pod it is indeed and that's also the same for our instagram and our facebook um and you can email us and i've forgotten what the email is i know what it is go on in the blank podcast 2018 at com. lovely we would love to hear from you whatever you've got to say whatever you want to talk about we yeah. would love to or hear names from you. you want to call us or um... <laughs> anything or maybe include us in the WhatsApp group. If you, if you guys, if you can get us in the WhatsApp group, that'd be really useful, actually, so that um, we can see what you're talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we can see what you really think of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Giles, have a have a good week. Um, you too, Jim. We'll see you. Stay strong. Next week, as the lockdown continues. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your uh, hands. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Media Podcast.